Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Why should you visit thechairshot.com? Thechairshot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis. With attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Kate's Angle Podcast. It's Kate Johansson. And today, got a very special guest joining me, All Japan Wrestling's Joel Redman. Joel, thank you for joining. No problems, anytime. I'm really excited about this. I think for people that have gone from the UK and gone all over the world, and you're kind of at the top of that list, so really excited to talk about your career, how you got into it, and yeah, to where you are now. So just to dive straight in. Why wrestling? Like, what made you think, you know what, I want to be slammed on my back for the entirety of my life? Yeah, good question. I've asked myself that on a daily basis. <laughs> um, I grew up on a farm in Devon. It's a very isolated farm, so there's nothing around, really. I think it's about a 40-minute walk to get the bus. Yeah. And a 40-minute drive to the supermarket or something. So there wasn't anything around, so we didn't have much TV didn't have Sky or anything. My parents didn't have a TV for a little while when I was growing up. So I never watched wrestling as a kid. Uh, I just played rugby. Did a lot of judo when I was growing up. And okay. the judo club I was going to, a lot of their sort of judo fighters were going into mixed martial arts. So I sort of tried it briefly there, but I didn't. I'm, I'm not a violent person. I really couldn't get into it at all. And I was doing a bit of acting for like a rural Shakespeare company when I was a kid as well. And the judo and the acting kind of went together, I guess, into wrestling. Uh, and a couple of my mates were wrestling in their, on their hay bales in a barn on a, a nearby farm. So I went and did some backyarding when I was 14, <laughs> 15, and went into wrestling. Started when I was about 16, I guess. So what was your first introduction to wrestling then? Like, if you didn't really watch it as a kid, when was the first time you watched wrestling and thought, yeah, I can, I'll do uh, it? I think actually quite lucky, really. And one of my mates, when I was... Yeah, 13, 14, was going to watch wrestling in Exeter in the Corn Exchange, uh, which would have been the Wrestling Alliance, Scott Conway's company. And he just dragged me along to that as a teenager. I'd never really even seen wrestling before. I'd done judo, <laughs> so I knew about grappling, but I didn't know about professional wrestling. My first introduction was watching, I think, well, I know James Mason was there, because I remember hugging James Mason as a sort of overweight 13-year-old <laughs> boy. Um, Chad Collier was on the show. I had a signed picture of Chad Collier in my, in my drawer. So, I mean... For me, I think it was a good way of starting because I kind of watched that British style uh, and that style that I really emulate now, I guess, rather than, you know, wrong with American wrestling, but I didn't, it wasn't the first thing I saw. The first thing I saw was James Mason and Chad Collier, who were phenomenal technical wrestlers. And that's what I enjoyed and that's what I liked. So seeing yeah. it was my first introduction to wrestling. And what an introduction to British wrestling as well, seeing James Mason 
yeah. one of the best that's ever done it over here. What was your first introduction to like the American style, like WWE sort of wrestling then? Well, once I'd seen it on a live show, I started watching Sunday Night Heat on Channel 4, and then I'd watch Heat, and then I'd draw, so Chris Andrews, who's another wrestler from the Southwest, who's retired now, but we started out our wrestling careers together, and he lives the farm over from me. So as a kid, I'd walk over there on a Sunday, and we'd stay up till midnight or whatever and watch the pay-per-views, and then we went to the same school, so we'd go to the school the next day on a Monday. But he uh-huh. and Robert Sam, we both wrestled, so the three of us sort of started wrestling together. Um, I used to go to their house and watch WWE on their Sky, on their Sky TV, but I'd watch Heat on a Sunday. So from doing like the backyard stuff on Hay Bells to then changing it up to being on the canvas, what was it like when you actually went to like your first training session? Uh, I went to the FWA Academy for a weekend camp once we found out about schools, really. Uh, I didn't find it too difficult because I'd done the judo background, so I knew how to break my fall. Um, yeah. I knew how to control people's weight and how to use leverage and stuff so i could sort of take to that pretty quickly there wasn't a wrestling school in exeter uh, or in devon when i started and there was sort of these rumors about a school opening up and the guy who was going to run it and open it up bailed last minute so when i was i think i was 15 i got in touch with the company that was going to start, start the school and then i sort of controlled it at the school really like bring down andy simmons or sammy ray phil powers and they'd come down and teach us and then we'd all chip in money and pay the coaches, the, the wage and the fuel, and the pay for this like leisure centre room for a couple of hours on a Saturday. And that's where I met the UK kid, who's my first trainer. Yeah. Uh, training in Portsmouth. So you've gone from training, doing the backyard stuff. What was it like being in front of that audience? You mentioned you had the acting background. So did you find it quite easily? Or because I think doing wrestling in front of an audience, a bit more vulnerability there. Yeah, my first match. Uh, I looked it up the other day, it was 2005 or something, and it was in Exeter in the top shims outside Exeter against a guy called Sammy Ray wearing a mask, Professor Aikida. And a match, I mean, he's, he's a great wrestler, but the match would have been absolutely horrendous. So I'd love to see it. <laughs> Probably was filmed by somebody, but I've never seen it. Um, so that might have been a bit daunting, I guess. But well, that, that summer, I went on the, the camps with Phil Powers. But I wasn't wrestling, I was just referee. Yeah. And I'd take the bags into the rooms and stuff, and you know, do all the sort of Dog's body jobs, I guess, that you should do as a young wrestler. Um, but being the referee on those camp shows, and you know how busy the camp shows can be sometimes, yeah. gets you out in front of an audience, even if you are just the referee. And it gets a little more of those nerves, I think, of being in front of an audience. So then well, when I started, started well, doing, doing shows on a regular basis, I'd already yeah. been those camp audiences. Well, whilst we're on to the um, story of camps, like you're also wrestling for All Star at the moment. What's your thoughts on, like, camp show wrestling and like what I mean especially like All-Stars historic with Brian Dixon yeah well I've been full-time with All-Star since I've been back to America so I think it's five six years something like that um you know when I started wrestling I, and I've always said it to people that All-Star was like a different level from everywhere else you had all these different companies and you had IPWs and all these other independents then you had All-Star that was just a completely different level and the guys there were just world-class wrestlers and I used to do the odd show. Me and Haskins would go and do some all-star shows, but every time you felt so nervous going there because you knew you weren't at their level. You know, you were yeah. fish out of water. Um, so when I came back, just to be full-time with all-star was a big goal of mine. Uh, it's still, it's my home company. You know, it's what I call my home company. And to me, it's still the best. You know, it's still the pinnacle, really. When wrestling's all about reps, it's all about doing matches constantly. That's how you get good. You know, you're not just gifted 
to be a good wrestler, you need to keep doing this thing. It's a bit like lifting weights or something. You, it's about repetition. And the All-Star Boys, especially in the summer, we're working like 10 shows a week. You know, there's nowhere else in the country or in the world that you can do that. So you, you have to get good. And that's why Dino and James Mason and Bobby Dynamite, they're all such good wrestlers. Yeah, everybody that I've spoke to that have come through the camps, they've all just sang the praises of the repetition and also Brian Dixon. Um, yeah. It's one of those where sometimes with the camps, for those of you listening, if you're not from the UK and not familiar with the camps, they're not essentially wrestling crowds. It's families that are going on holidays a lot of the time as well. If you're at the, like, the Butlins run and stuff like that. How do you feel like when you can make them react and it could be their first ever time watching wrestling period and yeah. you're getting a reaction out of them? That's what I tell people at the seminars. And that, you know, I, no one's ever said it to me. I've heard that people have knocked the holiday camp circuit and thinking they're above the holiday camp circuit, which is just ludicrous. And if you can, if I go to a wrestling show where people are paying money to watch a wrestling show and I can entertain them, that's pretty easy because they're paying to watch a wrestling show. I can get the family that are walking through the skyline of Butlins don't even like wrestling. If I can make them stop and watch my match, that's a skill. That's a talent. That means you can really interact with a general audience. And yeah, the wrestling sort of culture, that audience of fans is quite limited. And the big companies want you to be able to attract the general audience because that's where the money is. You know, it's trying to impress the people that aren't wrestling fans and convert them into wrestling fans. But yeah, I and I think great skill. Yeah, and I think that's probably why a lot of people that you see be successful in, especially the TV shows of professional wrestling, like WWE or other American companies, a lot of them have been from the all-star shows. Brian Danielson, for example, he gives his credit to his success as the all-star shows. And I don't know why, if it's talent or if it's fans, the camp shows get looked down on. What I've seen a lot, to be honest with you, I'm not going to say any kind of names, but I've seen a lot of wrestlers come into All Star, and it's a completely different environment. You know, you've, you've gone, you're not in front of a wrestling audience, you're in front of a general crowd, and they haven't been able to get themselves over with their audience. And they can get yeah. themselves over with the internet fans, fine, but their style doesn't doesn't work at All Star, and they don't get over, and they don't get booked anymore. And you know, it's one way of looking at that. Well, I'm going to get better at that style, or you just get a bit bitter and you sort of slag it off. And sometimes people resort to knocking all the star knocking the camps because they, couldn't, they just couldn't get over yeah. and you know to get to get over in front of a general audience you need to look like a wrestler because people that aren't wrestling fans probably aren't going to stop and watch someone who doesn't look like a wrestler and if you don't like a wrestler you need to have something extraordinary in how you work you need to be a really good high flyer or something something that your your ring work can drag them in and you yeah. also have a bit of being charismatic you've got to be have a bit of charisma and a bit of presence about you you know no, hundred percent. So, what ex- like what advice would you give them? So, um, I know you've done some seminars at Reach and do your own training. What rec- what advice would you give those people that maybe have tried All Star and knocked it, or might not have done All Star yet? What would you do to make them prepared? I think that the wrestling business now is so there's so many wrestlers trying to get these top spots. You really got to be be the best, and to be the best means being versatile in every style doesn't mean just being great at sort of kicks and moonsaults you need to be good at a well-rounded wrestler you need to be able to do everything so that these big companies can put you to any spot so i think if they've been there and not been successful is to try and get back in there again work out why they weren't successful and change it and fix it and you know you don't want to have any kind of faults in your game 
that's yeah. the way I look at wrestling. You know, I don't want, I want to be able to do both styles and be able to work with people rather than to have my one style that I force you to do. Yeah, and I recently interviewed Eddie Ryan, which everyone will be able to check out. And he sang your praises from the beginning of his career with you suggesting him to go to certain training companies and then your matches throughout the year. And he's always said, every time I face Joel, no matter what crowd it is, I know I've got to step it up because you give 200% essentially. And yeah. you're always like that. And he's, what, what's giving you that mentality? Well, he must have got that 50 pounds that I put in the post. So that's good. That's good. <laughs> that works out well. That mentality, I don't know. Everyone, they go on these podcasts and they say that I, I blow them up or that I'm hard to keep up with in the ring. Or well, It's just the way I work. I, I don't know. You know, like uh, I spent those years in America and when you're in the States, you're a full-time professional athlete. And yeah, it was a point where me and Pac were the best cardio in the school. You know, when we were tag team champions, they, they just couldn't blow us up. But I've maybe kept that mentality of just needing to be be the best shape I can. And I hate yeah. being blown up in the ring. There's nothing worse than losing your breath in the ring. It just ruins the whole match. So I always think about that in my head and I'm doing things to try and prevent that. But, you know, any... know, if people if can't keep up, then I'm just working my style. <laughs> and if you can't keep up, then you know, I try and slow down to make it easier for them. But it's just the way it is, I guess. No, is, is there anybody, especially later on in your career since you've had... Um, like that exposure in WWE where you've got in the ring and it's like, oh, actually, this person's more than keeping up and oh, you yeah. might be having to push yourself. Like, Yeah, oh. Niwa. Niwa <laughs> was, was awesome. And I worked him in uh, Evolution Wrestling in Gloucester and I didn't know who he was and we got in the ring and he, he I wasn't blown up. I was getting, I was breathing heavy. I was close to getting blown up and from, I went straight to Brian Dixon and went, this is the guy we need to get on the All-Star team and He's come into All Star now, and he's just won the belt off me. And you know they think he's absolutely fantastic. And the heat he gets in some of the venues is brilliant. And, you know he he will be in WWE or big company. It's just a matter of time. He's a very talented wrestler and incredibly intense. You know. Really yeah. Good. So I want to kind of go back a little bit. You mentioned Mark Haskins earlier, and you before getting to like WWE, especially around the um, early well mid two thousands, yourself. Mark Haskins as the Thrillers. He was kind of the tag team in Britain at that point. What was that experience like working? What I think real quality wrestling, IPW, Rev Pro, being their tag team champions and running rough shot over everyone. Yeah, it was really good. So, you know, watch back some of the matches now and some of the stuff I'm doing in the ring's pretty poor, but that's what happens when you're young, you know, you get better as you, as you get older. But yeah, it was really good. It was good exposure for me. And we had some matches with uh, Zach and Marcy that. You know, got real good reviews, so that was really good for us. I'm a bigger guy than the other three of them, so you know, for me again, it was just trying to keep up with them and just trying to do do those matches the way they wanted to do them. But yeah, I mean, we're just hungry young young kids, really. And if you look at the four of us, we've all had good careers since those matches. So you know, no, it's just nice to, to think now, go forward into whatever it is, ten, twelve years forward, and you look at what we've how career wise the four of us it's pretty cool now the body of work of like the four of you is incredible and again like early on uh i know you've been doing all japan last year during throughout 2019 which to be fair your schedule must have been crazy because you was back and forth to the uk doing your all-star stuff you was doing all japan and yeah. we'll get into that a little bit later but you experienced noah um in 2008 what was that like for you oh it was just brilliant because 
my parents have never not supported me, but my dad was a very good rugby player and he tore his ACL on his knee, the same injury I had in WWE. Um, and he'd like me to play rugby, I think. And I gave up playing rugby to be a wrestler. And obviously some of the shows in England are not the bigger audiences. Yeah. And they might come and watch those and they didn't really have a serious job. You know, I'm sort of putting all this time into this business. So when I did know her, I think I was 18 or 19 and I got them tickets to the Sky Dome and they came and sat in the Sky Dome and there's four or 5,000 people. Zone a match with Aoki with the 20 minute draw, and it was just like for them, they realized actually, yeah, he can make a career out of this, and this isn't just messing around, this is, this is a serious business, and yeah, it was really good. And for me, you know, I just I don't remember much about the match, I remember being incredibly nervous. Um, <laughs> the match didn't go as well as it could have gone, but then you know, I was a teenager and probably out of my depth, but you know, I thank Doug Williams for sort of putting me in that position and giving me that opportunity. And, yeah, I mean, Kabashi was on the show, Mazawa was on the show, I wrestled Marafuji the next night in Farringdon Leisure Centre, of all places, but incredible experience, and if it wasn't for that match in Noah with Aoki, I never would be in All Japan, it's only because of that match that Aoki put me forward um, 10 years later or 12 years oh, wow. later, and I got a message in my junk folder to say what I do Champions Carnival 2019, and the rest of it was history, really. That's incredible. Like what? What was? Um, I know you said you don't mention much with Aoki, but again, Marufuji, he's one of the who's who of professional wrestling as well. And there you are, what I think only three years in um, your career at that point, and you're getting such high-profile matches. Yeah, it just makes you nervous, but you want to be good. You got to wrestle people that are better than you. That's the way the world is, really. You know, if you wrestle people that are the same as you, or you're better than, you know, they're going to improve. So. Yeah, Sometimes being thrown in the deep ends, you know, you, you're out of your depth, but you soon learn. You, you sink or swim. When I started wrestling for Premier Promotions, which would have been around that same time, I mean, the matches that John Fremantle gave me there was like Mouse Sanders, Steve Gray, and then it was Danny Collins, and then it was Johnny Kidds, like Robbie Brookside. You know, yeah. it went like this, and I lost every match two nil. Was round. <laughs> But eventually, I think I did a draw with Phil Powers, like a one-all draw, and the place erupted because I'd lost every match, but they were yeah. just legends, and then I managed to scrape the draw. And I think I beat Doug at the Christmas shows who won. Incredible reaction. But in those, in those situations, I was way out of my depth, but yeah. made me a better wrestler to be out of my depth. Well, fast forward, say, 15, 14, 15 years or something like that, you faced Johnny Kidd again last year at Evolution. What was that yeah. like? Like, the guy's in his 60s and still still going. Like, what was that experience like, stepping in all these years later? I've, I've been lucky enough to know John, you know, relatively well with my career, and he's just an idol of mine. You know, I really idolise these British wrestlers. They're the guys that I study. Uh, and John was doing a seminar in the daytime, and me and Keen Kelly the Fox sort of went along just to take part in the seminar and then yeah. we kind of had us demonstrate stuff before the boys did it and then I was working in the gym next door so between the seminar and the show I took him over to the gym and got him in the spa and had a hot tub and the showers and the steam room and then bought him his dinner and there's these little things that I think maybe young wrestlers now don't do for these older boys they forget about stuff like that but it goes a long way you know if you can take him and pay for his dinner it's, it's not very much money but it just shows some respect for these older wrestlers yeah. And then wrestling him that night, it's just kind of switched. Before, you know, John would have been in control completely, and he kind of just puts it in my hands, I think, and he was like, oh, whatever you want to do for a finish, and whatever you want to do for the high spots. We don't, me and John don't plan anything in the back, really. It's just go out there and wrestle, but he kind of let me take control, and that was pretty cool. 
Do you prefer that style of wrestling where you not plan it out too much and you may go out there and call it in the ring, or do you prefer? 100%. My favourite wrestler from America when I was a kid was, was Benoit, and I just thought Benoit was unbelievable. He made it look real to me. And yeah. Same with Guerrero and Dean Malenko and these kind of guys, and they're just the guys that I really watched as a kid. And When I went to WWE, I asked, I think it was Joey Mercury, how did they put their matches together, people like Benoit? And he just said they caught a lot of it in the ring. You know, there were guys that didn't want to speak much in the back. They had a couple of high spots, but most of it was just off the cuff in the ring. Because um, that's kind of what I've done now since. And it's the way a lot of you know, James, James Mason will work like that. A lot of those top guys work the same way. And it just yeah. it allows you to be able to listen to your audience. Because you can plan an amazing match, but if the crowd don't want to see that style of wrestling, you're just wasting your time. It's only going to get worse. So being able to read an audience and work out what they want to see and adapt and cater for the audience, that's that's a sort of skill in itself, really. Yeah, I can imagine. So you mentioned Mercury when you was in NXT. So I want to kind of talk about that. Like, what was what was the feelings like when you first going over? It was then Florida Championship Wrestling. And what was that whole experience like moving to Florida? And who was it that was giving you the like the best advice whilst in developmental? So I knew Bram from England yeah. a little bit. Uh, but when I knew Bram, he was very clean cut, clean shaven, <laughs> you know, hair like I've got now, with a quip on the side. And then I turned up in Florida. So I'd just been speaking to him to find out where he lived, which sort of complex. So I moved into the same complex. And I knocked on his door when I got there. He opens the door with a big beard. And he's got his chewing tobacco in and his skin's like leather. And has happened to you in the space of a year and he said like give it a year and you'll be the same and in a year's time I was the same I had long greasy hair and tan and the chewing tobacco so must be the stress of that place but he looked out for me him and Connor so the Ascension was his tag team partner and they yeah. just took under their wings really and they massively looked after me and I had some matches early on there in FCW um, I kind of reckon Rusev I think and I was trying to do some British stuff because that's what I do and he didn't want to have any of it they came over sort of as the veterans went, no, he's doing this and he's doing this and allowed me to get my stuff in and get myself over. So it really helped having them because they were sort of leaders in the locker room, those boys. Yeah. They kind of really looked after me. Well, I think the way they looked, nobody was going to say anything different to them, were they? Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> so it transitions to NXT. What was that like for you? Because it. They're two completely different animals, uh, FCW and NXT, especially in terms of the production. Did you adapt well to the TV style of wrestling? No, it took me a while, but they used to film TV in FCW in the Tampa Arena. Yeah. So they kind of taught you how to work with cameras. Uh, and when I, it's just when I got there, FCW is like a, a warehouse with no air conditioning and it's a sweat box, which I probably prefer, to be honest. It makes you work hard. And then NXT is this big $4 million training facility. So it's a complete contrast in in schools but uh, the trainers were the same and the slow transitions they used to sort of move to the performance center and then come back to fcw back to tampa to film tv for fcw tv and then back to the performance center so there's a lot of driving to start with and yeah, yeah. it's kind of used to it that way so how did you and pack like become a thing then we just thrown together bram got released from his contracts uh, so the ascension tag team kind of got disbanded for a bit before victor moved in so they were missing a team for the tournament. Um, you know, Pac won in a league of his own. So they just needed someone, I think, to partner with Pac. They yeah. A team or do something with him. So they just sort of put us together last minute and threw us in. Like a sort of makeshift team. Had you worked with Pac before that? 
we uh, we tagged in a triple threat match, not a triple threat match, six man tag match. Yeah. That would have been one of my very first shows for FWA Academy, uh, 2007 maybe. So we'd actually tagged them. Um, yeah. I hadn't really seen much of him since then because he'd been in Dragon Gate and you know he was never really in England much. So how did you, how did you find uh, the teaming with Pack? Did you click quite well? And all of a sudden you're this tag team that's been thrown together, and then you make history, becoming the first NXT tag team champions. Was that always the plan, or is it just because you guys were impressing as a team together? Yeah, we well, you know, firstly we got along really well. You know, like we both. I think you know in Florida because you you're young and you're on your own in a different country. The, the sort of European guys kind of stick together, I guess. Yeah. Especially British guys, you kind of form a real good bond. So yeah, we got along really well, you know, and we'd go and hang out at each other's places and play FIFA, and you know, it's just just like normal twenty-year-old boys do. And then, uh, so yeah, teaming together was great. I don't know who was meant to win the tournament. I've got no idea. Um, I, maybe the Wyatt family were meant to win it. I, I don't know, but it just ended up being that we won the tournament. But it was a big surprise, you know. We didn't think we'd get past the first round. We yeah. beat we beat three MB in the first round. That was like, well, that's pretty cool to get a win on TV, but we'll be out next round. And then we beat Hero <laughs> and uh, Leo Kruger. And then, yeah, the final, I think they played a bit of a rib on us. And Jerry Mercury said to us, like, oh, you guys have done really well to get this far, but obviously you're not going to be winning the White family or win the tournament. And then as we're walking away, he just said, actually, I'm only joking. You are going over and we'll have Pack over with the, with the Red Arrow. What was that reaction? What was your reaction like with that then? Well, we planned like a celebration in the ring before the TV just yeah. to get the camera angles. So they had me sort of plan it. It's really hard to get the sort of emotion that you're going to show when you win because you're still thinking about the match later in the night. And then when we do win, it's completely not what we planned. Like, I think I'll rub the <laughs> to the floor and we're like, rolling around on the floor together. It's not what they wanted, but it was real. You know, it was, it was yeah. a real reaction, which is quite cool. Like, you mentioned earlier with the um, ACL injury. So, that's how you and Pac essentially ended with you tearing your ACL. What was that like? You're in a different country. You've only been there for a little bit and you get such a such an injury. Oh, it was awful. And, you know, we were literally a couple of weeks away from getting called up. You know, they, they rang us and said, we're bringing you up to the TV and what size tracks you are you and stuff. And I was going to go to WrestleMania that year in New York. And then about two weeks before WrestleMania, I'm wrestling Bray Wyatt on a house show and just blew my knee out tore my ACL and um, I tried to pretend I was okay so I got backstage and they're prodding it around and I'm saying yeah I'm fine and I drove my car back home and everything and then I'm training the next day and just stomped my foot down and just flipped over the meniscus inside my knee and then I was having uh, I was having lunch with Joe Cabray somewhere in Tampa yeah Tampa we've been and they just they rang me and said what are you doing so I'm eating, eating my lunch we'll step outside for a minute and they said right you're going to be out for at least nine months and you know the, the idea of bringing you up is going to be scraps and Basically, yeah. something again from scratch. So, yeah, it was really rough. But how's the knee now? Longer. Yeah, my knee's fine now. I hurt my other knee in Japan last year, um, last November or something. Yeah. But it's fine now. It seems to be okay. Yeah. So, when you come back from injury, obviously you're not teaming with Pac now, um, and it didn't seem as if there was going to be like a direction for you. Like, what was? being said backstage like what was your conversations like uh there was a direction i'll come back on tv and i, I went over um, marcus louis on the french boys and i beat yeah. him quickly and then they didn't air that that episode of nxt it didn't get aired for some reason so it was just like you know this is just bad luck really and yeah 
yeah, just from there went downhill. I don't know. I don't know why. I'm in my early twenties and living in America and getting paid decent money, and I can't wrestle or anything. So you end up sort of, you know, living a bit of the lifestyle. And yeah, I don't know. I just probably made a few bad mistakes there, and hopefully I haven't burned any bridges. But we'll see. Yeah. yeah they release me. So, have you had any contact with them since? Obviously, NXT UK is a thing now, and have, have they spoke to you about that? I wrestled T-Bone for Evolution Wrestling before the lockdown, and yeah, he was sort of uh, put me over a bit afterwards. And he, I think he spoke to Regal and said something, and he, Regal then said to get in contact with him and, and see what they say. So I emailed William Regal just just when the lockdown started, really, and he just said told me to get back in touch as soon as he hears that they're starting up again and uh, we'll go from there. So hopefully there's something coming, but it might just be a tryout or something, but we'll see. You know, if it yeah. is a tryout, I feel like my conditioning's good and I feel in good shape, so I'm sure I can hold my own. And as, you know, like, like you said, with the first ever NXT Tag Champs, there's a bit of a backstory there too. So who knows? It's up to them. The ball's in their court. Yeah. And so what do you think to NXT UK? Like, I, I want to put this story, like this question to you because you see all the skeptics and probably a lot of it's the same people that shit all over All Star and things like that of Brit Ress is dead just because NXT UK came in, signed a bunch of guys. What's your thoughts on that sentiment and what's your thoughts on NXT UK being um, a thing now? I think the only time you could say British wrestling may have died is when they lost the ITV deal in the 80s you know i don't think it's dead like that maybe that affected the business but brian kept running shows and it came back again so of course it's not dead you know it's only going to come back again it just goes up and down every wrestling business has up and ups and downs and there's still so much talent out there it's not signed to contracts you know yeah I'm not it's not in any way a good thing but me and uh eddie ryan had a match in, in getting in gloucester and it was uh, on the show with like joe coffee and uh few other lads that had sort of a world of sport contracts at the time or WWE contracts. And me and uh, Eddie Ryan were just a little bit pissed off. We didn't have anything. We didn't have any kind of contracts or any kind of deals. We went out in the first match and just worked our bollocks off. And uh, I knew they were going to be watching. I, so I knew they'd watch my match. And I wanted to show them all that we're as good as you guys are and we deserve to be in the same place. But this job's so political and it's got so many different sort of loops you've got to jump through to get anywhere yeah. that sometimes you can feel frustrated. But... You never want to be jealous or say bad bad things about people. You just want to work hard and earn your spot. Yeah. So going back from when you um, got released, I think 2014, you started doing a little, a uh, few things. You did TNA British Boot Camp. Yeah. Um, you started up with All Star. You was working Rev Pro. Um, what was Boot Camp like? Yeah, it was good fun. Um, I. I don't know how far I was meant to go, but someone came and asked me after the first day, would you be interested in moving back out in America again? And I just said, no, I've got no interest in going back to the States. And my son was born when I moved to America. So yeah. I kind of wanted to be back with him at the time. And yeah, I just had no interest. And the next day I was got cut from the, the programs, whether that was probably really, the reason. It, it may not have been, you know, I might, it could just be, it wasn't good enough, but uh, who knows? Like it definitely didn't help the fact that I didn't want to go live in America again. Yeah. Is is that changed or so if WWE did come in and was like, Look, we'd want you for NXT, not NXT UK, would you look at going back to Florida or Yeah, so I'm engaged, you know, so it depends on my fiance really if if, yeah. if she wants to go and live in America then maybe we would, but yeah, I don't know. I've been selfish enough in my career when I was younger and doing what I wanted to do, now you've got to think about other people and 
other people's lives and yeah do what's best for both of you really yeah so going to rev pro um obviously it's it's never nice to be losing a job or released from a contract and that same year you work in rev pro and you're in the ring with arguably one of the best in the world in arcada what was that like did did that make you think like I'm, i'm still essentially still the man I didn't study any high Japanese wrestling, really, so I didn't know who he was. And okay. uh, I think Andy Quilden, the show before Andy Quilden said to me, I was about to leave before the end of the show, and he went, oh, no, you need to stay and see this video because this guy who brought some juice is who you're going to wrestle on the next show. And I said, Andy, unless it's Kurt Angle, you know, I really... Because I knew there was a lot of Japanese guys coming over, and I didn't yeah. know much And his name came up, I didn't know who he was. And then I watched one of his matches, and he's, he's an incredible wrestler. You know, you say he's one of the best in the world, so... Being able to go in there with him and, and wrestle him was a big experience. And it didn't get great reviews from the online fans, but it got really good reviews from the boys in the back. And it's always nice to get appreciated by your peers. And a lot of the boys that wrestle or, you know, the, the referees have seen it and they've always said to me they really enjoyed it and thought it was a good match. So Yeah, and that's where you kind of took over, like, the tag team division. You and yourself and Martin Stone, yourself and Haskins, and then Charlie Garrett as well. Um, what was it like being like the cornerstone of RevPro's tag division then? Well, they're all partners that you know I know well. Like me and Martin spent all those years in America together, so we we done all that stuff together. Me and Haskins started wrestling together, really. We, yeah, we lived in a flat together for years in Portsmouth, and then Charlie's kind of you know he's one of my best mates and someone that I wouldn't say I took under my wing. He was trained by T Bone, but when he started the All Star. Brian's sort of said, look after this guy. So we've travelled to all these different shows together and, and, you know, I've tried to sort of teach him whilst he's been wrestling. So it's easy tagging with them. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I guess it's good to be a top tag team in Rev Pro at the time. That was good. We had some good matches and had the chance to work some good people. How come you've not been in Rev Pro recently then? I haven't got a, I haven't got a clue. You need to ask the, the book. Ask Andy. Ask Andy. Yeah, ask Andy. I've... I wouldn't have a clue, you know, me and Charlie worked hard there and I wouldn't have any reason why. The only thing I could think of is that we weren't, we weren't getting over with that audience, but I don't think we were ever going to get over with that audience. And we had said to him many times about turning us villain and he just didn't, didn't like it. But yeah. naturally we're villains in front of that audience, you know. I just think we would see that style better. We're sort of muscular boys that look like, yeah, look like ex-WWE wrestlers. We don't look like <laughs> indie wrestler and I think, that could get under people under people's skin, and we could be good villains there. But he didn't want to know about it. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. Why? Why do you think that is? Like, if you're a, if you're a muscular like body guy, that instantly the crowd may be kind of like resentful for you, or I don't know. I mean, there's different types of people, different demographics, and maybe we're a different demographic to the audience. You know, maybe certain other wrestlers are actually have more similarities to the audience so they can react to them or get behind them easier. You know, me and yeah. Charlie, we don't have that same connection with the audience. That makes any sense. Yeah. But that's what I would see it as being. So going further southwest, obviously, um, from your area, Reach became a thing a couple of years ago. Uh, Jason King and Grayson Reeves, they want to PWA close. They're wanting to set up their own promotion. And you've been the guy from the inception really use first ever champion there what was your thoughts on reach opening and having a new company in like plymouth and the devon area 
Uh, I wasn't on the first couple of shows. I felt a bit left out, to be honest. I didn't <laughs> kind of like to get on the shows because a lot of my mates were on them and I was sort of stuck not on the bill. So it was nice to be brought in eventually. And I was a bit sceptical to start with, you know, not uh, knocking Jason and Grayson because I like them both as people, but they've not had a massive amount of experience in the business. So you're a little bit sceptical whether it's going to actually work, but it has worked really well. And their shows are good fun to do and they're sort of bringing it back to life in the southwest of it, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, and again, we mentioned him earlier with Eddie Ryan. That's who he first came in against in the time limit draw. And then you end up becoming champion and it's kind of gone in the full circle. So what's your thoughts on that with somebody that you're close with, but also the storytelling side of professional wrestling? Yeah, it was, it was decent booking, I guess. I don't know. I'm terrible with that kind of stuff. But I just do what they tell me when I turn up on the day and try and put on a good match for him and tell a story in the ring. But, you know, I've known Eddie Ryan for a long time. I met him in Devon when he first started. He was backyarding, I think. And I, I told him to get out of there and go to a real school, I think, when he was a kid. And so I've known him a long time. So it was good to wrestle him. But it is nice to freshen up a bit now and get some new opposition because every show I've done there has been against Eddie Ryan, which is, is good. <laughs> I want to wrestle some different people now. And I'd like to work some of the academy guys. I've kind of put that forward to, to Jason and Matt and said, yeah. stick me in there with Joey Seven in the singles or those sort of lads and let's let's give them a bit of a test and see what they can do yeah other than joey seven is, is there anybody else that's kind of um stood out for you from the reach academy uh well the reach academy i think that's something reach have done really well in integrating um people like danny Steele or kyle parker onto the main shows or the girls like la taylor and aurora not really i mean only because joey seven's more forwards in the changing rooms so he'll yeah. come to you and introduce himself and you know, I'm not being a dick in any way, but when I go there, there's a lot of people that are my mates that I haven't seen for a long time. Like Dick Riley, Eddie Ryan's, Big Grizz, PJ, these boys that I want to have, I want to speak to, or Josh or someone. So it's not my job to go up to Carl Parker and speak to him and, and talk to him. Yeah, yeah. Do that. I'm not trying to be arrogant or anything, but I've been wrestling 15 years and around the world. Like, you need to come and speak to me. At least that's my mentality. That's the old way. You know, it used yeah. to be you went to a show, you made the effort to go and speak to the older boys. And you ask them for the advice and the feedback. And Joey Seven's in all I can think of has ever asked me for any kind of feedback or advice, you know. Yeah. And I understand that it's daunting and that you, a lot of it, it's not them being rude, they just feel intimidated. And that, that's certainly understandable. But you you're, like a go, you're like a god down there, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, but you've got to get past that, you know. Yeah. Like we've all been in that situation before where you felt a little bit intimidated, but it's whether you have the bollocks to just get past that and go and ask for their help. And every wrestler down there. Are good guys and they're going to offer to, to help you yeah so you mentioned earlier with um the okada match and you didn't really look into japanese wrestling did that change during your time working for rev pro obviously you, you evolved japan now um is that being your first real education of like japanese wrestling yeah maybe after working okada i started looking at a bit of it and obviously they were bringing over a lot of japanese guys like me and Haskins worked Tenzan and uh, Kojima and stuff in a tag. Yeah. It's all legendary people. So he started to sort of study their stuff a bit. And there's a wrestler called Gideon from the Southwest as well, Nick Woolcock. And he sort of introduced me to a lot of Japanese wrestling. And I started watching that. And then uh, All Japan. I knew some of the wrestlers before I went there, but it's kind of opened my eyes to the style. And, you know, I really enjoy working in Japan and that style. What made you want to go to Japan then? Like when All Japan got in touch with you, was the any human and iron or was it yeah this is what i want to do no i mean it's decent money in all japan so that obviously there's good pay but 
for me it's more wrestling especially now in my career of just like it's like a little checklist of just ticking things off and you know I, I get flown out to japan put up in nice hotels wrestle for a very prestigious company in all japan you know and i see all of japan and, and when i get up in the morning i'm one of those guys that go for a walk around the town we're in and i look at the, the castle nearby and i look at all these different sites and there's not many people that have jobs that can say that, you know, they get to go to these countries and get this experience and get yeah. paid for it. It's, it's pretty cool. So it's just a no brainer. Yeah. What's your thoughts on the culture then? Like a lot of people say when they go to Japan, there's such a respect out there. Um, you're treated really well, like you've just mentioned. What's your thoughts on the Japanese culture as opposed to the American or the British wrestling culture? It's just the best, absolute best. I just, I just get so like tired of the politics and the bullshit, you know. And they don't have that really in Japan. Not that I've seen. They may do it, but a lot, and a lot of times they could be slagging me off in the change rooms. So I don't, I don't speak Japanese, so I can't tell. <laughs> you know, you just get, especially in America, there's a lot of politics. You kind of get a bit sick of it after a while. So in Japan, it just seems a bit more like if you're a good wrestler, you'll get the push, or you'll get seen, or you'll get noticed. You know, it doesn't matter if you're mates with the booker, or which I quite like. Yeah. So going out to Japan, you're in the Wrestling Carnival, such a prestigious tournament. What was that like? I know you've had the experience of wrestling like sometimes twice a night with All Star, but now you're doing it with All Japan and they their styles are very different. What was that like wrestling each night in the carnival? Yeah, I knew Sam Adonis anyway from All Star, so it was good to have yeah. a name there. And then me and Joe Doreen became good friends and me and Dylan James and Gianni Valletta were all sort of real good mates. So it ends up being just good fun. It's almost like a holiday with your mates. You know? and you, you got, the wrestling gets in the way almost. Like it's, it's such a good laugh and such good company out there on the bus. And I didn't find the schedule hard because I've been with All-Star and yeah. they might do five shows a week or, or do 10 shows a week in the summer with All-Star. Like this is easy. And you get people out there complaining about the schedule but because I've done those holiday camps, I'm pretty used to, to doing that. I mean, the matches are a bit harder and the camps yeah. is a bit harder in Japan, but... Just got to be careful in what you're doing. And the style they want me to do there is the British style, which doesn't involve a lot of big bumps. So yeah. I kind of saved a little bit. I haven't got to do anything too silly. <laughs> What's the reception been from like their audience then? Have they been receptive to the British wrestling style? Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't ever think it would get over like it did. I, you know, I thought I'd go to the Champions Carnival and that would be it. And before I left, they offered me two more tours for us Champions Carnival. And then we did five tours last year. And I would have been out. In April, if it wasn't for the lockdown, I, you know, I'm sure I'll go back out again later in the year. It's just taken off. And you never would have expected it, but I think the one of the top guys in the office there is a, a big fan of British wrestling, and he likes bringing me out because it's that sort of old-school style. And you look at guys like Pete Roberts, who made a good name out there and in the 90s, and he was a very good British wrestler, so it's yeah. just trying to bring that style back into the all Japan. They like to have a contrast of people, and they like heavyweights. I'm lucky that I'm... Just over 100 kilos, so I'm just about big enough for the heavyweights. <laughs> now, you're glad to be seeing more Brits go out there as well. Obviously, on one of the tours just before all this happened, you've had Danny Jones going over there. You've had Lucas Steele making his debut as well and impressing out there. Is, is it good to have a bit some more Brits with you? I've not seen them out there. I've never been on the same tour. Whenever I've been out there, it's been different. Um, so I've not actually being in Japan with them. I think Danny normally gets out for the junior heavyweight stuff and I go out for the heavyweight stuff. But it's yeah, it's great. We're all di- we're all different wrestlers. We're not we're not similar. You know, me and Danny Jones are a similar technical style, but yeah. I'm I'm bigger than he is and he can he can move better than me because he's a bit, a bit smaller. So I mean there's a good contrast in all our styles. So it's yeah, really good. 
And throughout this interview, we've been talking a lot about like tag team wrestling and stuff. And you end up teaming with Tatsu in the Real World Tag League. What was what was that like teaming with Tatsu and um, the contrast of working tag team wrestling in Japan? Yeah, we knew, knew each other from uh, Florida and stuff, and yeah. in FCW. So and he speaks a pretty yeah, decent English. Lives in lives in LA, so I mean, we, it was easy to have someone who spoke English. But he can also translate for me a lot of what the Japanese boys are saying, which is really helpful. And he, he sells a lot of good merchandise there, so help on those sales in the ocean. Yeah, it was good doing tag stuff out there. I mean, it's, it, to start with, when I did my first few tours, I just did my style and the British style. And then as I've become a bit more regular, Akiyama sort of took me aside and said, this is how we want the psychology of Japanese wrestling to be and just to change little bits in your matches. So it's, it's a bit more similar to their, their view of how a match should be, which is good learning for me. It's a really good experience. Yeah. How have you found that adapting? Yeah, it's, it's good. I, mean, I feel like I can adapt to it pretty easy. It's, it's just just different ways of pacing a match, but it's just learning. You want to keep learning. That's how you get good. You don't want to stop learning. I mean, yeah. I had the match for the tag belts in the Corican Hall. And that was pretty cool. And I felt, I don't normally get nervous, but I felt pretty nervous going into that match because, you know, they're old belts and there's a lot of good guys that have held those belts in the past. So it was cool to fight for them. Yeah. What was it like fighting in Cork and Hall? Like, cause that's, other than the Tokyo Dome, that's a historic venue. Yeah, it's good. Meant, there used to be a wall in the Corican Hall where all the boys um, ripped the sign of the wall or something downstairs, but I think they've covered the wall up. But Johnny Storm told me about the wall from my first tour, and I was sort of really eager to find the wall because I wanted to find Johnny's signature and then write something like, is a twat underneath and send him a picture. <laughs> of, yeah. But I couldn't find the wall because someone's covered it up. So Just what? Just write over it, and just that can just be the one thing that's on there. Yeah, just sign over his name. I couldn't yeah. find them. So, unfortunately, <laughs> it's been covered up. But it's, it's a cool venue to wrestle in. Yeah, yeah, it's a good atmosphere. And the Champions Carnival final and stuff is normally normally full, which is a busy, busy yeah. house. It's pretty cool. If somebody was to check out All Japan, um, obviously there's All Japan TV, so I would recommend it for those of you listening. What matches of yours would you recommend them to check out? Like, what have you enjoyed whilst being out there? Uh, I wrestled Nomura in Osaka in the Champions Carnival, and I'm really proud of that match. I really enjoyed it. Got some good reviews online and stuff, and some good critic reviews. And that's a match I liked. Just ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, Suwama again, Champions Carnival last year. Uh, pinned him with a crucifix pin. Yeah, people seem to like that match as well, and the match with Yoshitatsu that year. Uh, some of the tags. I wrestled Kai in Osaka last November. That was a good match. They can find that. Um, Did you face tags. you faced Ishikawa and Suwama as well, didn't you? Yeah, we faced them in Yoshi's hometown. It was the main event that night. That was a good good match. Wrestled Ishikawa a couple of times in, in tags. Uh, we had uh, Miyahara and Aegi. It was a good tag match as well last year. Enjoyed yeah. that. And Jake Lee and Noir was a good tag. So, going back to um, the UK then, just to wrap things up, I want to kind of like promote a bit like what the Southwest is doing and things like that. And you're doing your own training out there now. What's it been like being a trainer? You're no longer the student, but you're coaching all these up-and-coming talents. When I was a kid, I moved to Portsmouth to train with Mark Sloan. It wasn't the academy. He closed the FWA Academy. It was called Super 8 Training. Basically, it's me, Haskins, and Wade. Fitzgerald and Mark at the end of it. And then when I came back to uh, to Devon, I started the DWA or Devon Wrestling Association, where I, where I took together all the 
wrestlers in the county and we started a wrestling school and I trained them. So I trained Dick Riley and PJ and these boys and any wrestlers, a top figure in the South, in, in Devon now, I probably trained before they became a wrestler. Um, so I'm sort of used to being a trainer. I really enjoyed it and probably grown up a bit more now. So I probably wouldn't, wouldn't beat him up like I used to, but it was a good experience. So yeah, being a trainer again would be, be good fun. Yeah. Who in the Southwest do you feel should be given more like um more credit and people should pay more attention to? The UK dominator, you know, he's retired now, but it, me and Dom were the trainers, you know, to start in the school. So we taught yeah. the guys. So it wasn't for me and Dom. And we didn't make any money, we just paid the rent. So we it was we hadn't put our time into it and invested our time. We didn't really need to do. We both had careers already, you know, I was already wrestling regularly. I didn't need to teach people. I just felt like there was no schools when I started. Yeah. You had to drive to Portsmouth to learn to wrestle. I want to give these guys a better chance than I had. So I'm going to start something to help them wrestle. Um, and then when I went to America, the dominator sort of took it over and started running it himself. Uh, so just he needs a bit more credit from those guys, maybe. I mean, you just see the stars on the shows and the guys that are top names, but it's the guys behind the scenes, you know, sometimes that create the scene. Uh, you know, they, a lot of the boys have problems with him, but Darren Saviour ran um, Pro Wrestling Pride in the Southwest for a long time, and they all just slag him off. But he deserves a lot more credit because he drew, you know, crowds of a thousand people down there. And he might have had Van Damme or these imports on the shows, but he was still drawing big houses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe he might have pissed off a few people, but he certainly made a lot of fans in the Southwest. So you should sort of thank him a little bit for that stuff. In terms of in-ring talent. Yeah, Dick Riley is a world-class wrestler, but he's had opportunities before. It's whatever he wants to do. It's taken. I don't know. You know, he's got. He's just had twins that have been born, and you know, he's got his wife, and he's got another kid, and he's got a lot of priorities down there. And he wouldn't want to move to Florida or anything. They offered him the contract. But yeah, he's a great wrestler. You know, he's definitely he should be given some bigger shows, a good chance to shine. PJ Jones, very good wrestler in the Southwest. Uh yeah, I mean, they come to mind. I don't know about the new breed. It's sort of like the, the new Reach Academy of some really good students there. And then you've got a couple of guys from DWA, like Max Wilson, who's a very, very good wrestler. But they're coming up. And you've got a sort of middle bracket. So you've got like me, Dick Riley, PJ, these boys. And you've got the Reach Academy guys. There's a middle group of people that learn to wrestle in the Southwest. And I can't think of anyone in there that really stands out. I don't particularly, I'm not sure on that middle group. And, uh, I think yeah. their attitudes are quite poor for a lot of them. It's sort of Vinnie Clays and these guys that they haven't got a good attitude for the business. And I can't imagine they're going to do particularly well. I mean, I do seminars for Reach before the show sometimes, and I'll get all the Reach Academy boys in doing drills. And you'll see like Big Grizzly and uh, and Dick Riley and all these guys that they're meant to be the main event talent. They'll sit at ringside and watch my seminar, you know, whether they should or not, I don't know, but they want to watch <laughs> to see if they can pick up something that I'm saying to them. You'll never see Vinnie Clay or Blake Harrison or any of these boys. They're nowhere near. They wouldn't even dare yeah. try and take any. And they would never ask anyone for advice, really. Or So to me, they're just not, I couldn't be bothered. You know, I've got no reason to bother trying to make you any better. It's up to you. You know, if you want to you be better, you need to start being around people that are better than you and taking yeah. their advice. No, 100%. So how do you feel? I want to jump back to um, the Reach bit then, because Reach have been trying to give a lot of people these opportunities. Is that encouraging for you for the growth of the wrestling scene in the Southwest? 
Yeah, it's good, but you can't rely on other people in this business. It's a one man yeah. business. You know, it's not a team business. So they can give you opportunities, but it's whether you take them and run with it. And like I say to the guys down there, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own ass, but I'm a farm boy from middle of Devon with nothing around me. And I had a contract with WWE and it wasn't an NXT UK contract. It was a, a proper contract. Yeah. And I lived in Florida and, and I wrestled for all Japan pro wrestling. And I was trying to say to them, if you want to do this, you can go and do it. It's not some impossible dream. You know, like a lot of people think there's just nowhere we're going to go and wrestle for WWE. I've, I'm proof and you know, I'm living proof that you can do it. And I've come from Devon and I've gone and done that stuff. So if you want to do it, you just got to work hard and like I say, be around people that are better than you and, and pester them for advice. Every wrestler has an ego. That's why they do it. That's why they strut around in their pants at the weekend. So <laughs> get in their ear and ask them for advice. Ask them how they did this. Why did they do this? You know, how would they do things differently? You know, yeah. can you watch my match? What do you think of this? What if I change this and put this in here, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. And speaking of advice, I'd reached out to um, L.A. Taylor, who I did the, started the From the Ground Up series with, and she had a few questions for yourself as well. Um, so the first one, what we had here is, what, what are your thoughts on intergender wrestling? I don't like intergender wrestling. I've never, never been a fan of intergender wrestling. I think it's a bit just awkward and it just doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah, I don't. Okay. Um, we've got one here. The importance of failure. God, it's like anything in life. If you do, if you do things wrong, that's how you get yeah. better. You need to go back and correct them. So it's important. Okay, and we've got one more here. Is let me try and find it. Spare with me. Okay, she'd like to know what you think. I know you've kind of touched upon it with people going advice, paying a lot of respect. What she'd like to know what you think makes a good wrestler, and also for her trying to debut for different companies, what can she do to stand out and to get over with the fans? To be a good wrestler, you need to be versatile in what you're doing to be able to work with anybody, to be able to adapt your style. So wrestle anybody else really so it's just being versatile but they're getting out to other companies i wouldn't know because when i started there wasn't as many companies there wasn't as many training schools now there's so many schools churning out wrestlers it's very hard but yeah i don't know just just contacting people and being persistent with your emails and just trying to get your foot in the door brilliant so i know with coronavirus there isn't as much going on you mentioned hopefully going back to japan uh, is the what goals have you got left in wrestling like, what's on that bucket list of Joe Redman? I'd like to get to NXT UK. That's why I'm sort of emailing them to see what they can yeah. do. So that'd be the next thing, really, to see if I can get there. But it may not happen. I may have burnt bridges there. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, no. Then just to try and stay with All Japan, really, and try and keep wrestling for All Japan and see how far that can go. Because we've only just sort of started there, really. I think there's a lot of, a lot of matches that are yet to happen. Yeah. In April, meant to be a singles with Miyahara and stuff. That would be pretty cool. So just doing some of those guys in singles matches would be good. I look forward to seeing it. And again, thank you for coming on the show, talking about your career and things like that. Where can people find you on social media, support you through merchandise? Where can they find you? NXT Oliver Gray's Twitter, just because I want to keep the blue tick. And if I change it from NXT, I'll probably lose it. (laughs) Uh, Instagram is j.redman87. And then I have a big cartel, strollredmanwrestling.bigcartel.com. Brilliant.
So, yeah, Joel, thank you again. Um, stay safe during all this. Hopefully it won't be too long until you're back in the ring and hopefully the goal of NXT UK and going back to all Japan will happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, hope so. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always use your head. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.